Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We are live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. <laughs> Suck it. Toronto to think that that a season is championship or championship is is um, certainly the way we've approached it to the Miami Heat fans it was uh you're despicable people and I hope I never hear from you again Milwaukee we dogs James Harden is a massive choker and he is a bum bum finals MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo Bogdan Bogdanovich Karma. Karma, bitch. Chris, you did it, huh? Hello and welcome to episode 119 of the Brew Who podcast. As you can tell, this is not Adam Paris, co-managing editor of the website. He is off on a warm vacation with his family. We are all jealous. I am Kyle Carr, and joining me as always is my good friend Riley Feldman. Riley, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, Kyle is the only one who can see, but I'm wearing my Packers hats. Not because I'm a Packers fan, but because my head was a little cold this morning. That was the nearest thing to me, and it feels right to... Do one last solemn salute at the uh, at the graveside as they lower the Packers coffin. The end of Aaron Rodgers' career in Green Bay. Whole lot of good stuff in Wisconsin sports, but the Bucks picked up the win, and that's what people should really be rallying around against the Kings. So I'm I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing pretty well too. Um, it snowed a bunch overnight, so I know I got to go out and clear the driveway at some point, which. I guess I'll welcome snow because it's been freaking cold in the last few weeks. And I also feel like I've just been trapped at his house because I have not left this house other than like getting groceries and it's and daycare. It's brutal. But I, I am glad that a gritty team from Wisconsin that had controversy due to one of its white athletes um, was able to get a tough way to get to California team. Um, obviously, we were talking about the Bucks win last night against the Sacramento <laughs> Kings. So that is part of the news that we have. Um, other big things, uh, Wes Matthews got hurt last night uh, as we're recording something more. He got hurt last night. Seems to have been a me thing. It was weird because he kept playing. And it was one of those where it's like, this guy's clearly in pain. And he just kept going and Bud didn't call timeout, which he later regrets. But yeah, Bud said that he didn't know like if he could redo it he would have done it all over again but he it sounds like he's the prognosis initially is it's just a really bad bruise or bad knock so he should hopefully be back sooner rather later doesn't look anything long term but it was it was definitely weird because it was like he was clearly hurt (laughs) we've had a lot of times with bud that it's not that he's a sadist but i think he he said last night to Eric Namer, like in the post game press conference, that 
uh, with a lot of guys is like, oh, see, give them like a possession or two to see if it's just like, you know, that initial like pain. And then they kind of like walk it off after that. So I understand that. But there's a lot of times in the Boonholzer era where somebody sort of picks up like an injury and then like we're just waiting around for like the next dead ball stoppage and like the actual flow of the game to get him out. I remember Giannis getting that like concussion a couple years ago and then oh, yeah. he went like back out like shortly thereafter. There's just been like times where guys pick up injuries and uh, we don't call timeouts. And to be fair, I'm not, I think that's like typical for a lot of teams to just see if the guy, if there's something wrong or try to make a move to like get a dead ball stoppage. But uh, yeah, I don't know. As long as Wes is okay, I think it'll be okay. But yes, a bit strange, but not the end of the world. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think he it was weird, but you know it could be worse. Um, you could be Grayson Allen, who's probably going to get suspended. I don't know. By the time you hear this, maybe the league has made a decision. Maybe they haven't. But Grayson Allen is definitely a touching point. I think if anything, Grayson Allen should thank Aaron Rodgers, um, or as I like to call him, Throw Rogan. Now, uh, th- shout out to Twitter for that nickname. Because if it wasn't for that, I think Wisconsin, I, I think a lot of people would have directed their ire at Grayson Allen. And because of his foul on Alex Russo, we'll talk about that more. But yeah, it was quite the uh, early afternoon on Twitter, <laughs> finding all of that out. Uh, Grayson Allen, it was beautiful to watch because all the Bulls fans were really, I mean, they were going really hard, like oddly hard. And then they remembered they were Bears fans as well. And they were like, wait, we have a bigger target. And everybody got the knives out and Grayson Allen. He ate his donut, which uh, that, that was even that was funnier as well. The Bucks Twitter account tweeting out Grayson eating a donut before the game against the Kings yesterday. Uh, yeah, it was good timing by the Packers and Aaron Rodgers in particular to totally lose it because that gave a nice distraction for everybody else who might have been coming for Grayson now. And hopefully people will just forget about it now, now that we can make fun of Aaron Rodgers. I think people are going to make fun of Aaron Rodgers. And I'm, and if Tom Brady loses today, then that's probably going to be another person that people just bash <laughs> on. Like, there's Tom Brady, there's jo- there's a lot of other targets today. And then I think it's going to get to Monday and everyone's going to be like, everyone's going to forget until March 4th when these two teams play each other. But the start of the week was not so great. The national TV champs lost a game on national television, uh, losing 114-121 to the Atlanta Hawks. The Bucks blew a double-digit lead in the second half. That sounds very familiar. But Chris had 34 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists. He had offensively a very good game. Looked like the Chris that showed up at supernova points during games 3 and 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Giannis had... Not the most efficient 27 points, six rebounds, six assists. Uh, Pat Connaughton with the bounce back game. He had 14 points, four or five from three and six rebounds. The biggest issue, though, out of that game was, like I mentioned, the blown second half lead. Milwaukee started off pretty hot, and it helped that Atlanta could not hit a three to save their life. They started, I think, one and nine from three in the f- like most of the first quarter, but then they were able to chip back in. The regression to the mean was starting to happen, but it was definitely a you can tell that this collapse was happening it was a it was a slow collapse but throughout the whole third quarter allowing i think what 40 points it it was just brutal but riley i know you didn't see much of this game but what are your thoughts looking at the box score just following what everyone's talking about yeah the third quarter woes continues with at some point somebody will have to write the definitive piece trying to understand why we're so awful in the third quarter giving up yeah, 38 points in the fourth quarter, not great. My question would be, I see that Trey Young went to the line 
10 times <laughs> or he got 10 free throw attempts in the fourth quarter alone. Was this a game where the issue kind of fell on not having a good primary defender on Trey Young? I mean, he had obviously a good night from the floor, but does a lot of that come down to somebody who, and this is an issue against the Bulls sort of too, like trying to guard a DeRozan or a Trey Young, who's like an isolation guy, like, was the defender, whoever was assigned on him, was just a tough cover? Was that like the main theme of him getting to the line a lot? Or I think it was more of the the lack, the exploitation of the zone drop really showed itself. And I mean, a good amount of those free throws were also like garbage time, like ice of the game out free throws as oh, well. Oh, yeah, but yeah, okay, okay. It was, he was able to do it. It was kind of that what we saw in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals where he was just having his way with the zone drop where he was throwing up floaters, he was able to pass around, he was able to get to the line. It was more of that, along with icing out the game, than it was um, just the inability of having a primary ball handle. I mean, George Hill definitely did not have a good time uh, trying to guard him. He was kind of the primary defender for him. It was like him and Dante kind of alternating. And they didn't have the greatest of time, but I, I think it was more of the what we saw from game one of the Eastern Conference Finals where Trey Young was able to just exploit that zone drop and the lack of rim protection really hurt Milwaukee um, in this instance. So I think, I think it was more of that more than anything, but it was also just one of those where the bucks, they just went through a stretch where I think it was 99. I think it was like, I think they had the lead for a good amount of the fourth quarter. And then it was like a hundred to 91. And then, that's when it all just like fell apart. It felt like that's when it was all crumbling. Like Chris got three free throws and I was like, great, they're fine. But then Trey Young gets a floater. Gallinari makes a pair of free throws. Gallinari makes a three. Um, Chris gets a chop and then Trey Young gets two free throws. Herder gets the driving layup and Milwaukee's lack of rebounding also hurt it. Not as bad as it did in the Toronto game, but it was still one of those where they just could not seem to come up with the rebounds when they needed to. So it was. I, I don't know what, and like I said, had Atlanta not shot so poorly in the first quarter, this would have been more likely a game that was Atlanta winning from start to finish. But it, it seemed like Milwaukee's lack of being able to get the rebound and the turnovers late in the game, surprise, surprise, um, were the, the two. It was definitely like turnovers at the end, inability to play defense. It. I don't know. It was it was a weird game. It was kind of one of those where as the game went on, you kind of just felt like they're not going to win this game. Yeah, it's a classic Bucks that the Hawks haven't won at home in like two and a half months. And then we come to town and I think I predicted us giving it you away. You did predict that. <laughs> classic Bucks for that. So I think it was us helping them get off the schneid uh, a little bit. And, and this week was kind of a, if we were having struggle with like the zone drop this will be interesting to discuss this because I felt like against like the bulls, for example, we did a lot better of a job with like Bobby and it might be personnel on the way that Chicago plays their offense. But um, the difference between how we were able to cover a somewhat like smaller team in Atlanta, um, given I think is John Collins, they're like starting center. I don't even know who their starting center is right it now. Normally it's Clint Capella, but I think he was out. I feel like between he, COVID and injuries, like the Hawks, it's like are just throwing dudes out there. Like, hey, you, you're a big body, <laughs> you can do it. Yeah, their starting center was um, either John Collins or I'm gonna butcher this guy's name. Onyeko Onyeko. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so like those are two guys who are a little bit slimmer, like they're more mobile. And the way that we've been playing our like hedge blitzing defense with um, Bobby, and it worked really well against the Vuceviches of the world. It's like, okay, Bobby can help pressure whoever the ball handler is in this case, like a Trey Young, but then trying to get back against like, say, John Collins, who uh, for all his imperfections, he is a lot more of a mobile player than a, you know, Nikola Vucevic. So that also something to keep an eye on where, Yes, the Bobby Giannis pairing can get things done for quite a bit, but against certain um, lineup packages, if the execution isn't really on top of things, then you're kind of already um, putting yourself in difficulty. And Trey Young is obviously a great passer. So I think not the most surprising thing in the world that uh, they were finally able, the Hawks were able to put things together and like pierce our defense enough when it mattered to get the win. So that's that's not super surprising, I guess. Yeah, it is one of those where, Atlanta is one of those teams where they have the personnel to really take advantage of that zone drop. And I think because Trey Young, his ability to get those floaters, but also be a good passer, it kind of reminds me of Lamella Ball, where it's like, you can do this, but you got to be able to. And I think this is where not having Drew Holiday hurts a lot. It's like you don't have anyone that can just like lock him down, stay in front of him, get force him to make plays. So it, it definitely shows in that aspect, which, in, I mean, there's not that many players in the league that have that ability against Milwaukee. But it, when it is see, when you see it, it is kind of frustrating to see over and over. And not having Drew, not having Brooke, I think highlighted that issue. Also, Milwaukee's bench, other than Pat Connaughton, not doing itself any favors again. Um, Pat Connaughton was great. Like, again, he played really well. No problem with him. I have no issue. Dante... Even though he had nine points, he—I mean—he had a couple threes, but he also just looked. Uh, th- if there was a game where people were finally like, "Okay, I'm sick of Dante at his like terribleness," I cannot defend it. <laughs> this was this was one of those games where yeah, he hit some shots, which was good, but he could not like he still struggled at the rim. He still was not helping out the offense. He was still you know getting like it just feel felt like this was a game where everyone had is so anti-Dante could use that as like a proving point. Yeah, poor Dante. But he followed up with some okay games this week, so we'll talk about that. Not not all things are lost with Dante just yet, I don't think. Nope, nope, not at all. But it, it, it was okay. It was okay. But anything else uh, from this Atlanta game? Or we could talk about the Memphis game, which was kind of a almost a similar game to the Hawks one. I, the only thing I would say on the Hawks game, uh, I still consider us national TV champs. Any game where Reggie Miller is the commenter is just, that's not, it's so low level quality of commentary that it's really, it's beneath even regional TV games. So I'm not too worried. I still consider us the national TV champs. Thanks in large part to Reggie Miller's presence. So thank you, Reggie. We salute you for your service. Well, I was going to say, they also did follow up by winning their next national TV game. So <laughs> we're still good there. But yeah, it's true. On, I think it was what, Tuesday or Wednesday, the Bucks played the Memphis Grizzlies, got a win 126 to 114, a much more uh, a more efficient night from Giannis, 33 points, 15 rebounds, seven assists. Chris, again, with a very good shooting game, 27 points, seven rebounds, seven assists. Another Pat Connaughton uh, chipping in with 13 points off the bench. Drew Holiday came back. He played 22 minutes off the bench, nine points, five rebounds, four says, <clears throat> you know, he was still, he was definitely still working his way back into, you know, getting into shape, but overall a very good Milwaukee performance against a Memphis team that has played really, really well. And John Morant still had 33 points and 14 assists and eight rebounds. Like John Morant was really good. Jaron Jackson Jr. 
Didn't really do much from the floor, but was able to get 29 points thanks in part to 9 to 10 from the free throw line. And Memphis didn't really have anyone else that was contributing. Part of that was because they didn't have Desmond Bain and Dylan. Yeah, I think Dylan Brooks. They were missing. They were definitely missing players. But I, I don't know. It was a much better showing from Milwaukee. Again, they had a halftime lead. They then allowed 40 in the third quarter. Thankfully, they scored 35, so that made up for it. But mm-hmm. it was definitely getting near the end of the game. I was like, ooh, this is – at one point, I think Memphis had it down to like three, two or three points. Yeah. No, this was a, a tale of us responding to adversity. I, I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is a fun player. So he scores 27 points in the second half, and it was like – it was a lot of Jared Jackson Jr. And to his credit, he was doing everything on both ends. He had the primary defensive responsibility on Giannis. And while it's not perfect, of a lot of guys, like given how slender his frame looks, he he must be pretty built because he was standing Giannis up quite a few times in isolation situations. So that was pretty impressive. But um, I, I think you're right that it comes down to Memphis's like it's back. It, it was just a lot of John, Jaron Jackson Jr. And it might be a lot of those guys in a primary offensive set anyhow. But missing like a Dylan Brooks or Desmond Bain that that adds things. Desmond Bain is like he's a lot more stacked, like he's a good defender. Um, but probably more impressive that the Bucks were able to survive the final couple of minutes. Like that was another theme this week was things get tight. We have our crappy third quarter. In this case, we score enough to kind of keep up, but we still give up 40 points. Uh, but the fact that Chris, I think he scores 13 in the fourth quarter, Yana scores nine points, like not perfect like outings in the fourth quarter, but pretty close in terms of efficiency and executing at the end uh, to not force a lot of shots. Uh, they end up like pulling away at the end. Uh, Bobby blocks like John Morant at the very end to make sure he doesn't get some free points or whatever to get like a, <laughs> I think it was uh, however much it would have been like a 35 point outing. There was everything about it. The final couple possessions where you're like, Oh, Maybe it'll be a bit iffy, and then I don't know if it was a timeout or what, but the Bucks were able to calm down and then really execute on the final couple possessions on both ends of the floor. Uh, and at a certain point, John Morant, obviously an excellent player, but I was impressed with the way that the Bucks were defending him. Uh, he navigates defenses, and for the most part, he's very crafty at like just attacking the rim. Like he's everybody knows the highlights. The guy can like get up, he can navigate defenses, no problem. I thought especially in the first half is really impressive watching the way that the Bucks were swarming him. Uh, he can obviously pass his way out, but his first mode is to attack. And he's not like a DeRozan where I'm going to get to the mid range and then halt. He usually goes all the way to the paint. And at that point, he'll choose a floater or try to attack the rim. The Bucks adjusted to that pretty well, given the personnel. And they didn't have to worry too much about Jaron Jackson Jr. Like um, he's already posted up on the perimeter. And then Steven Adams, he kind of sits at the elbow a lot for them. And so that's another big body that you're like, okay, I can leave off of this. Um, so I just thought there was a lot of things about the execution where, yes, we give up 40 in the third quarter, but it could have been a lot worse. And John Moran, 12 to 27 from the floor, he gets up 10 threes. Like you'll totally live with that. If you're Milwaukee only goes to the free throw line five times, like everything about the way they guarded John Morant, I thought was really admirable. And then in the second half, it was just like, okay, if Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to beat us, then that's going to be what it is. And that it, they, they held up long enough and, as productive as he was, not productive enough to like overwhelm Milwaukee, I don't think. Yeah, a lot of that Jaron Jackson point load was in that third quarter where and it was a lot of it was a combination of him getting to the line, but also him just getting easy layups, which yeah, it's not ideal, but with how Memphis plays with Steven Adams, it's like, yes, you can still like 
kind of sag off because he's, you know, he's not really, he's more there to like set screens and free up, you know, John Morant and other guards, but that you still had Jared Jackson. I think it was just that combination of how do we approach it is always tough. And I, like I said, with Drew coming back, I think a healthier Drew probably would do probably would still be in John Morant's face. And I mean, I would say overall Milwaukee did as well as you can hope. Like, yes, he still had 33 points. Yes. He still had, you know, 27 shot attempts, 10 from three is not bad. I, I think well, the overall the assist, the assist on top of that too. Yeah. The assists were really, and again, a lot of those assists was just dump it off to Jared Jackson jr. And let him get a layup or, you know, yeah. let him kind of feast down low, which again, it'll happen. But I think he did have, I think the Bucks defensively did as well as you can ask. It was just one of those where there's a guy that got hot and who was in a rhythm and you, it is frustrating, but at the same time you knew like, maybe this is going to dry up. And I think one other area that Milwaukee really thrived in, which I think contributed to their win is they only missed, um, I think like one free throw. And that was the, and that was ironically Giannis. Like Giannis was seven of eight, but like Chris was six of six. George Hill had a pair. Grayson Allen had a pair. Drew Holiday was four for four. So I think it was a better showing for Milwaukee to hold its nerves, to hold it together. Less uh, crucial turnovers as well. Um, I mean, Giannis had five, but, a few of those were kind of just like pass that just couldn't get there. It's not like backbreaking turnovers that we had seen in the Atlanta game that we had seen in a couple of games the previous week. It was more the, it was kind of like the run of play things, trying to get up a little bit more up tempo. That was one of the thing with this game as well. It was a much more up tempo game, which I think contributed to Milwaukee being able to go on those scoring runs. You know, thirty six in the first quarter, thirty five in the third quarter, thirty in the fourth. It was like they only had 18 fast break points. I thought it would have been higher, but that was where I think having Drew Holiday back, having Dante be better defensively. Offensively, he did not have a great game, but defensively, he was, you know, not doing, he was still kind of, I think his gambling was more efficient. Not that he come, came up with a lot of steals or anything, but I think it still disrupted passing lanes to an extent. And Milwaukee getting the rebounds that they needed to as well. I think they got 43 defensive rebounds other 56 which is a good showing because it means that the box now is better you're not allowing too many of those you know backbreaking second chance points that memphis was having so overall i have no complaints about this game it was an entertaining game um definitely one of those where you watch and it's like yes this is you i understand why memphis is as good as they are they obviously with taylor jenkins being a butt protege kind of playing a little bit more of that same style having guys having a big and a guard that can really take over and slice up the defense is always helpful, but the bucks have Giannis and with the bucks having Giannis, that's always going to be the ultimate uh, deal breaker or tiebreaker in that aspect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I'm looking here as well. This is another team where we were just talking about how, how the Hawks, they have per- particular personnel on offense. The big difference here is okay. Like I'm going to, we're talking about with Vucevic, Vucevic in a second. Steven Ams is out there. Yeah, like Bobby can blitz pick and rolls all day and then get back into position and Giannis can help cover like that. That makes things so much easier for the defense. And then on the other end, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., he has five personal fouls. Uh, Any other guy who kind of got like, unfortunately had to guard Giannis a little bit. It it seemed like there was a lot of issues for Memphis trying to get a handle of if Jaron Jackson Jr. couldn't. I mean, it's just it's tough to like so easy his name just rolls off the tongue you want to say his full name every single time jaron jackson jr uh if 
he isn't able to stop Giannis at the point of attack and Giannis gets past him. There's just like nobody else on the squad. Like Steven Adams, he has to already stay out because Bobby's already out uh, on the perimeter. So he can't like move in quick enough to help out. And then it's like a DeAnthony Melton or like a Jared Culver. He's like, okay, I'm just going to hope this works. And then just like <laughs> take a Giannis shoulder to the face. Like it, it's just a perfect team where uh, Jaren Jackson Jr. is a great individual defender but once you get past that like just the way that milwaukee's offense is set up for a lot of teams it's a struggle there uh to be able to stop Giannis, and he was efficient from the floor as well on top of all so i just think entertaining on both ends uh, a lot of like good scoring obviously the grizzlies are like entertaining to watch i think the bucks the way that they were able to overcome that and like really slam things down in the fourth quarter pretty impressive all things considered yeah, I was definitely hesitant about this game. I, I think I predicted that they would lose because I also didn't think Drew was going to come back. But Drew Holiday coming back, I mean, like I said, he kind of looked a little rusty. He was coming off the bench, only played like 20-something minutes. But what were your initial thoughts with seeing Drew coming back? Was it just like, okay, this is good? It sounds like it was an ankle thing where it was like he didn't have COVID. He like expressed. He really expressed it was not COVID. He did not have COVID. I was like, okay that's fine. <laughs> but it was like, he was like, yeah, it's the ankle. And I was like, all right. And you could definitely tell he was not as quick and as up to speed as he normally is, which he figured out by the end of the week. But yeah, I don't know. What were your thoughts on Drew's return? Uh, I mean, fine. No big deal. You're right. That like him attacking the rim uh, goes to evade. And now he, he's had like on again, off again, struggles attacking the rim anyhow. But this is like you said, sort of evidence in the way that he was playing. Uh, just, Four assists, three turnovers. Um, it's just good to see him back insofar as uh, he's the steadying presence on offense, especially when things get tight. And as much as I love Giannis and Chris, as we've talked multiple times, they're not exactly like your primary ball handlers you don't necessarily need, especially in closing uh, quarters, like when it's tight. Drew has two assists in the fourth quarter, no turnovers. Um, I think Giannis has a turnover, but uh, just the steadying presence more than anything else is probably the value from Drew in this game. Uh, and then obviously he improves as the week goes on as well. So, you know, it's fine. I, I do want to salute the Bucks coaching staff with a uh, guy who is normally a starter, uh, picks up an injury. Drew, a lot of the time he does when he's coming back, he comes off the bench. Credit to George Hill for stepping up into the starting lineup. And then also to the coaching staff for like figuring out what's the best way to work Drew back into a rhythm. So that's probably like the more notable thing is don't rush him too much. Still gets up like eight shot attempts, uh, has a couple of assists, like a good Drew game without pushing him too hard. Yeah, and they, it was also evident in the next game on Friday night, primetime, big, the matchup we've been waiting for, obviously with how good Chicago has done this year. It was, I think this is the first time since probably the beginning of Michael Jordan's career where both the Bucks and the Bulls are like good, supposedly. I'm still mm-hmm. not sold on the Bulls, but Milwaukee wins 94 to 90. It wasn't a pretty game. I will, I will say that. Like it was ugly. No one could hit a three. It was a, a slow, it felt like a playoff game, but yeah, Giannis gets 30 points, uh, 12 rebounds, three assists. Chris Middleton, 16 points, six assists, 10 rebounds. It was like Drew Holiday, 13 points. It was like no one really <laughs> shot the ball well. Like this was a no one shot the ball well at all. It, it got it got very ugly at the end. Uh, but on the bull side, they didn't have uh, Lonzo Ball. They didn't have Zach Levine. But DeMar DeRozan 
35 points thanks to 18 free throws, which is still questionable. Um, <laughs> Nikola Vucevic had 19 points, and Alex Caruso, despite dying, uh, came back and got seven points. Good <laughs> yeah. for him. Um, the game, obviously, yes, we'll talk about the game itself, but obviously the big talking point was uh, Grayson Allen. He, in the third quarter, I believe, he was trying. It was like the Milwaukee couldn't get a rebound. They went on a, the Bulls went on a fast break. It was Pat Connaughton against one of their players, uh, Dosomu. He was trying to guard him. He passes it to Alex Caruso. Grayson Allen is the only other defender there. He tries to contest the shot, isn't there in time, basically gets a hard foul. And Caruso lands awkwardly. Scary foul, dangerous foul. Um, so that happened. Uh, Grayson Allen gets the flagrant too, so he gets ejected. And Caruso keeps on playing. Everyone then talks about, okay, that was a dangerous foul. And Billy Donovan's like, he's had a history of that, even though this is the first flagrant that Grace Allen's gotten. And then we got to <laughs> Saturday morning and everyone, and the Bucks again, with the tweet um, <laughs> of Grace and Allen, idiot, uh, donut, which supposedly was a scheduled tweet to go up. I don't know about the, whatever. I don't care about the <laughs> don't about that either. <laughs> the Bulls respond and complain and say seriously. Bull, NBC Bulls talk is then asking, "Oh, this is weird." And then they complain they got blocked. All of a sudden, we find out <laughs> Crusoe gets surgery. He's out for six to eight weeks, and now the whole discourse was, "Well, Grayson Allen needs to be suspended for multiple games," which the league is, I guess, looking into. Again, by the time you hear this, they might have already made their decision, but. That was a long story short of it, Riley. <laughs> that, was a really, that was a really good recap, Kyle. That was an excellent recap. You've been really in touch with the Grayson Allen discourse, apparently. I am really on top of things when it comes to unnecessary drama, apparently. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, so I, I did not watch it live. Um, I went back, I saw the clip or whatever, and then I rewatched the game. So. I was expecting it to be like way worse. One, we should establish that yes, Grayson Allen during his like period at Duke, he like whatever did some bullshit things. Let's all acknowledge that. Uh, like you said, I'm not sure he's had like any incidents in the NBA, like in his entire career up until this point that I can remember. Off he had a situation head. in a summer league game against Trey Young. I think that's like the only time in the NBA that he's really done anything like that. Yeah. Was in a summer league. Like, so, so your second year. I understand where people are like falling back on this history, but it's been a very long time since that. And uh, since those like days. So when I watched it, it, what it looked to me was two guys going full speed. Like it, it all of a sudden, like a rivalry rivalry game broke out, like on this Friday night and Alex Crusoe is like going hard at the basket. And Grayson is like cutting a perpendicular across his path to try and stop him. They both leap. And like, as Crusoe's momentum takes him around Grayson, the question is, should Grayson just like let him go? But Grayson said he tries to contest. He like turns his arms. And I think it was the second, the right arm, like coming around. That's the main issue. But even then, I mean, the first, like his left arm gets pretty close to like blocking the shot cleanly. So I think all things considered, like, yes, the second wraparound was sort of dangerous. But for the most part, it looked like two guys whose momentum just unfortunately connected at like the wrong spots. Uh <sighs> And anytime a guy is up in the air and his center of gravity starts taking him like off, like he starts falling backwards. Yeah, that's not great. But there was nothing about it to me that looked like super malicious. Uh, I have no idea what kind of beef Grayson Allen would even have, like what the purpose of it would be. Like Caruso is annoying, but I, I just I don't understand the whole like, oh, he did it on purpose. 
Um, if he gets suspended a few games, that's not the end of the world. But I, I just think people have really, really blown their top for some, some no apparent reason to be because even in the at the moment, people keep commenting about Bulls players didn't step up for Alex Cruz. So I mean, it looked like just like a really physical, unfortunate like fall to me, uh, which you, you don't want that to happen. But I I just I think it's making a mountain out of a molehill to me personally. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it was – I do not think it was malicious at all. I think he was trying to get the ball. I think if he got there earlier and got in front of Caruso, this would have been a whole different – I think he was trying to get the ball, and it was that second arm that came through that I think was the bigger issue for why the flagrant two. It was a dangerous foul regardless. Like, yes, that is always a dangerous type of thing when you have that going. And like I said, at that speed – and in real time, it was like, a, oh, that's a nasty fall. Like, it looked like Grace Allen was trying to get the ball, didn't, and Caruso landed badly. That's how it looked in real time. Then you watch the replay, and it's like, oh, okay, you see the second arm. I had no problem with it being a flagrant two because it's like, whatever. It seemed like it's fair enough to be a flagrant two. I don't think Grace and Allen's reputation necessarily had anything to do with it. I just think it was a, that was a dangerous play, and you get ejected for a dangerous play like that. Where I think the bigger problem, and yes, Caruso gets, and then like I said, Caruso got up and continued playing and, you know, is what, and like that seemed to be the end of it. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like the post-game comments was really trying, and I understand why Caruso is pissed. Like Caruso has every right to be pissed. Billy Donovan's probably just trying to defend his players, but it was just the next day. It was like the Saturday talk where all of a sudden the Bucks have that tweet and then everyone's in an uproar about that. And then it was the it finding out there was an injury, and then it's like, okay, well, do we go and suspend this player? And at first, and I think Mike Poonholzer told Eric name like pregame, I was like, no, I've not heard anything. Like as far as I'm aware, no, he's not he's not suspended. And then Grayson Allen doesn't play, so then it's like all of a sudden, and it's like everyone made this bigger mountain of a molehill, and it's ironic because, and I tweeted this literally the same night, Talon Horton Tucker fouls Jalen Suggs on the same type of play where, you know, he's in midair, he's trying to get ball, he doesn't. It lands in a scary fall for Jalen Suggs, and that's only a flagrant one. And it felt as though, why is it that he is not getting derided to the same extent that Grayson Allen is? That was my bigger... That's that's the thing that probably bothers me more, is these are the same exact type of fouls. And people are going to say, well, blame the refs. Like, well, it's not just the refs. It's the po. And again, no one was, no, I feel like most reasonable Bucks fans are not arguing about it being a flagrant two. Yeah. I don't think anyone's really arguing about that. I didn't, I see, I didn't see anything there. It looked clean to me. <laughs> it was a hard <laughs> basketball those... play. Like, yeah. I've definitely seen yeah. like trolls be like, oh, it's a hard basketball play. Like, it would have been fine in the 80s. Like, okay, but this yeah. is 2022. Uh-huh. So it was just the uproar the next day. And then you find out Caruso gets hurt, and then all of a sudden you get people like, oh, well, Grace Allen should be suspended for the entirety of Caruso's injury. It's like, okay, well, then let's suspend Amari Stoudemire back in 2010 for Andrew Bogan's injury. Like, it was an unfortunate play, but I don't know. I feel like the uproar and the tizzy that resulted in it is, I think, the bigger issue more than anything. The thing that I look at it is, this is exactly what Bucks Bulls needed. Unfortunate, I nobody wishes injury in anybody. Unfortunate that Caruso didn't just have a hard fall and then like he'll be okay after that. Like the injury sucks for sure. But this is the kind of blood feud we needed this bad. Like as much as this game was trench warfare and as much as that put a damper on things, I thought it was a lot of fun. Like rewatching, and I was like, ooh, 
I mean, this is like it's ugly basketball, but both teams it was like throwing haymakers back and forth. That fourth quarter was like really juiced up. Like all this like talk aside, I think it's an indication that Bucks Bulls, like you said, since for the first time in probably close to thirty years, it's back. Like the Derrick Rose teams, they just came and they kicked the hell out of us every time they came to Milwaukee. Now that both teams, like you said, Chicago to be determined how for real they are. But now that they're both good, like this is this is the exact kind of like high level intensity game that you wanted to see. And it's unfortunate this happened, but it's when you like rewatch it, not that surprising either, because in the third and fourth quarter, guys were like really like raring to go, especially the Bulls. I think they were up to the challenge of like trying to topple us, even though they were missing a couple of their good players. Uh, not surprisingly that given how hard they were going that somebody might have picked up a knock. So everything about it, it's just like, you know, all your points are totally true. And I think the wider thing is great restart to the rivalry if this is going to be something that sets the tone for the rest of the year here. Yeah, it was definitely like the game itself, which now we can probably talk about, like the game itself was very competitive. It was a very mm-hmm. close affair. It's not like any team got out to a significant lead. It's not like any team really got like started off hot or made a comeback. Like it was end to end like the largest lead was seven for the Bucks, and the Bulls had a four point like it was close throughout the whole game and I think that is what you did and I was annoyed with DeMar DeRozan's whistle because there's de- and I think you can also tell Chris Milton was getting frustrated because he had gotten fouled on a similar shot that DeRozan was getting free throws and like you could tell that like, it was and with the arena and everything like that like it was truly like I said this is the first time I feel like since early Jordan years where both teams are good like, yeah, there was the 2015 playoff series, but it was kind of like the Bucks were, wow, we're surprised we even made it this far. Like, that's kind of cool situation. <laughs> they, the we were happy to be there. The happy to be there team, for sure. Yeah, the happy we made it this far. We didn't expect this going into the season kind of thing. So, like, I don't yeah. really count that. But it was definitely a close game. I think with teams being healthy, that'll also have an impact on it. But I, I do think, you know, the big thing with this game was Milwaukee's just – more or less ability to kind of exploit Chicago's lack of rim protection with Vucevic. I mean, they had 42 points in the paint compared to Chicago's 20. And granted, a lot of that was because DeMar DeRozan was the only one that was able to consistently get an offense going. And I mean, he had, I get like people like chide, like, oh, it's a bad sock selection. But like, if you're going to make it, it's a good shot. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's where the analytics start getting out of hand. Like DeMar DeRozan was getting himself into really good spots and hitting those shots consistently and he had, like he has a spin move, like he spins and then is able, like he gets to the screen, and he did this a few times against Drew, against George Hill, against Dante, where he'll start or against Chris, like West even, he'll dribble, get to the screen, and then do a spin, which creates him enough space for him to get a good look in the mid range, and that was he was consistently doing it, and that's impressive. I think that is a really good skill set to have and a good shot. Like I can see Chris Middleton kind of developing that as well, but. A lot of it, it was a very close game. Chicago didn't really use much of their bench. Like DeRozan played 38 minutes. Uh, Kobe White played 37. Dosumu played 39. Um, Vucevic played 35. It, and I mean, Milwaukee, on the other hand, Chris and Giannis played 37, 36, but no one else really hit 30 as well. So I think this was kind of one of those. It was a close game. This is what you need for the rivalry. I think this obviously not the injury, like the game itself is what gets a rivalry started. And Giannis getting in the paint consistently, Bobby Portis getting some buckets late. It was a very close game, but I think it was also an entertaining game. If you just maybe if they didn't shoot as many threes and brick those after a while, like maybe stop doing that. But 
Otherwise, no big complaints. I mean, Bobby Portis going one of seven from three is like a, oh, God. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's amazing that DeMar DeRozan, you could go back to like any of his Toronto years and watch his like career highlights there. His game has not shifted one iota in like years and years and years. And it's very old. He's a one-on-one kind of guy. Like he's a very, he's kind of fun to watch though. It's like, man, this is really like bewildering. It doesn't matter if Wes is guarding him, Chris is guarding him. Like, and he, he was trying to like try and get some of his teammates to pay it off, but they were awful from three uh, for the most part outside of like, I think Matt Thomas was the only guy who really made a couple of threes like Nikola Vucevic, but like people were not helping DeMar DeRozan out. Um, so yes, you're right that if he's going to be the only like consistent offensive creator, that's going to be a problem. Bigger problem for Chicago is I'm going to go back to my theory that uh, you need to have a plan to slow down Giannis. And I'm sorry, but Nikola Vucevic... He's not traffic cone-esque, but he's pretty damn close. I mean, he he puts on so much effort on the offensive end for a guy his size that I would have a hard time believing in his ability to halt Giannis. I mean, it's, go back to all the Magic years. Yes, those Magic teams sucked. Like, give him, give him credit there. But Giannis is, like, always eating him alive, and he's crafty on offense but he's not crafty on defense and as much as the not having Lonzo Ball and having uh Zach Levine out there does matter are either of those guys gonna add like enough to slow Giannis down and maybe they could try to swarm Giannis but even then I think the rest of the personnel from Milwaukee trying to swarm onto Giannis to like help Nikola Vucevic out. That's going to happen like too slowly. And Giannis should be able to exploit like the passing lanes that open up from that. It, Cause Vucevic, like he, he just doesn't, I don't know. I, I just, I'm, I'm not impressed with him as a defensive player. Yes. He's an offensive force, but even then he kind of had a struggling night and Bobby did a good job, like face guarding him for the most part. I, I just going forward. Yes. When the bulls are fully healthy, they will be a different looking team. And I'll be curious what, how their offense changes from there. But when it comes to a playoff series, if we face them, it comes down to how does your defense hold up? And Chicago has no interior defense at all. And we have, if Brooke comes back, or even with Giannis as the help defender, we have a pretty solid interior defense. And if it's going to be us going to the paint versus them trying to like out jump shoot us, I'd be comfortable seeing that matchup for a seven game series and seeing how it would work out. So that that's the main like ugly game here. But I think you're seeing some of the elements that would make the Bulls not an easy out, but I would feel confident playing against them because at the end of the day, Giannis of today is a different player from ever before. And you need to have the personnel and you need to have the coaching staff to really have a defensive game plan that keys in on that. And Tyler Cook did an okay job for a couple of possessions in the first quarter, but he racked up like fouls like crazy, right? As soon as Giannis figured him out, I would be scared if I was a Bulls fan for like, how are we going to halt Giannis? And there's nothing from this guy from like this game from the other guys that were like, this is how we'll do it that I saw at least. Yeah, it's, there is no because, yeah, you can try and decide, oh, I'll put Vucevic on Bobby. OK, but you're dragging Vucevic out and it doesn't make a difference, I feel like. But if you put him on Bobby, Bobby can drag him out. If Brooke is there, that's a big body. Then who are you going to put on Giannis? Like, yeah, that's the issue for Chicago is they don't have anyone to stop Giannis. And even with a healthy Lonzo Ball and Zach Levine, if anything, that just makes it worse for Chicago because then you're asking Zach Levine to guard one of the perimeter players, which is going to leave – it's just going to leave them more exposed. I mean, it, and it's not like they do have the personnel. Like, even their bench, there's no one on their bench where you can like look at them and say, yeah, we're going to – throw this guy to at least try and attempt 
like yeah Tyler Cook could attempt, but it's not like, yeah, Giannis figured it out pretty quickly. He was racking up fouls. And I think that's kind of the big thing is even if you somehow try and match Giannis' firepower with Zach Levine and Lonzo Ball, if anything, it might also play into the Bucks' favor because then you're not worried. You don't have to worry about DeRozan as much and his mid-range and him racking up free throws. You don't have to worry about that as much if Zach Levine's over there taking those shots away. Or, I mean, Lonzo Ball is definitely more of a threat because his ability to shoot and pass is still more prevalent, but I just don't see how Milwaukee, a healthy Milwaukee team loses to the Chicago team in five. Like, I think that would be a five or six game series. Like Chicago is definitely made leaps and bounds and sure. They are doing better than I expected. I thought they would have been hovering around the eighth seed or 10 seed. And I don't think they're going to fall there, but in terms of me, I think those past few weeks for Chicago has kind of showed that, yes, they're having a good season, but they are a ways away from being considered one of the best teams. Like, they got their doors blown off by the Warriors. They got their doors blown off by the Nets. Like, they're good, but they're not this team that you would expect to like to really come out of the Eastern Conference. Like, I still think it's one of those, like, they still have to take that next step. And a big part of that is they don't have any player to slow or stop Giannis on, and they don't have a player like a Kevin Durant on the Nets who can shoot his way, who can score his way through it. I'm just so like this is a really hackneyed like uh, comparison, but and especially because the only constant is like Demar Derozan. But when I think back on the Eastern Conference Finals against the um, Toronto Raptors. So yes, DeMar DeRozan, he was doing DeMar DeRozan things there. The key difference in those games were like they had uh, Marc Gasol, who like really stepped up as a big man. They don't have a body like that if you're the Bulls. And then uh, Kawhi obviously stopping Giannis. Like the, those are two guys that you can pair up. And Toronto has always given us really like Giannis a lot of trouble with their defensive principles. I'm looking at their roster here like am I supposed to believe that Lonzo Ball or Zach Levine are going to like replicate a Kawhi Leonard-esque performance on defense? Because I have a hard time believing that, and this is a different kind of Giannis. And then the other thing as well is Drew's working his way back. And in this game, uh, we end up throwing a lot of Chris and a lot of Wes onto DeMar DeRozan. That makes sense because DeMar is like 6'6". That, like, I understand that defensive assignment, and we'll have to see how we move Drew around. But like the Drew... Uh, like the way he plays defense is quite a bit different from what Eric Bledsoe was doing. And so I think we've just seen incremental improvements on both ends in the way that we play. And if we continue to work here where it's like, now we can play Bobby against your big lineup and Bobby, yes, he doesn't pay off a lot of those threes, but that first quarter, he had to have had like six wide open threes. That's going to be there for him like a whole series long if that's how they play it. So I've just, I, Yes, this is an ugly game, but enough there where I'm like, I want to see them full health. I want to see how they match up. But like you said, I think there's all the principles, all the answers that Milwaukee has. Uh, I'm not sure the Bulls have enough answers to like come back unless DeMar DeRozan or like somebody has literally the series of his life and just never misses, which I mean, I guess is possible, but I'd be pretty confident in just like letting that happen. Yeah, I, I think it is one of those where, you would, and again, a better shooting night from Milwaukee in this game probably isn't close. I mean, Chicago, Vucevic took seven threes. I'm okay with that if I'm Milwaukee. Like, that is the guy I want to chuck up the threes. If that's who it's going to be, fine. I know uh, Kobe White took nine and he missed all of them. Those are guys where if they're shooting the threes, yes, go ahead, do that. I have no problem. I'm, and I'm on Milwaukee side. Yeah, Bobby Porter's going on to seven is great. Chris only taking four threes, though, was slightly surprising just because I feel as though 
based on Giannis being able to do what he wants, it would have opened up more for Chris, but he was still at least in the mid range, able to get the shots he needed. I mean, Pat Connaughton didn't hit any threes, which that's, he took a four, missed all of them. It is what it is. Sometimes games like that will happen, but it was just weird how it felt as though both teams can kind of feel good about how they play. Like Chicago can kind of look at it like, okay, we didn't have Zach Levine. We didn't have Lonzo Ball. We hung tight with Milwaukee and they were at home, you know, sure. And Milwaukee can look at it and it's like, we didn't shoot the ball well. DeMar DeRozan continuously torched us and got to the free throw line with a lot of frustration. And we still were able to win despite all that. Both teams can feel good about it, but I don't think Chicago, I, I think for Milwaukee, their optimism is going to be more more place. And, I, and again, the 42 points of the paint, that I think would be a continuing theme. But it is good to see a Milwaukee-Chicago rivalry actually be competitive because yeah. as far as I've been a Bucks fan, that's never been the case. <laughs> so, and, and I think the beautiful thing is I think the team has a tendency, and this is like in the third quarters and then them blowing like leads in fourth quarters. They have a tendency to just kind of fuck around a lot the Bucks do which is fine like I understand the dynamics of the season probably pretty good to have like a rival literally like an hour and a half away whose fans come up and like make the environment like a real serious environment I think it's a good thing for both teams I think it's really good for Milwaukee to have a team like you can't just like mess around on a random Friday night like you have you're going to have teams where it's like playing against the heat. Like you just have to take it up another level. And I think that's not good for like every single game, but I think if we're going to play Chicago a whole bunch in the second half of the season, probably pretty good way to like up the intensity level. And like, okay, we really have to be on top of execution. Chicago's going to for it. Like they want to prove themselves and yeah, totally understand whether or not that's sustainable for them in the playoffs. But I think overall, enjoyable game even if it was a bit of a slugfest but sometimes it needs a slugfest that's what basketball is all about and then sometimes Grayson Allen commits a felony and it's awful to watch but uh that's just a part of the rivalry game what are you going to do about it yeah and I think it also again reminds everyone that when the Bucks actually care and try they will most likely win the game <laughs> um yeah. so that's kind of good but any last thoughts for this game I know this is uh, this was probably out of the whole week of game this is probably the marquee one uh even if you take out the great salad file, this was probably like the one going into this week that was like, okay, stamp that. And thankfully the Bucks won. So you can actually be on this podcast. So I feel like if they had lost, you would not have been here today. <laughs> uh, Nikola Vucevic. I just, I just be really worried if I was Chicago, like it, he's a lot of fun on offense, at, but I don't know. He just, he doesn't make guys pay at all. He may, doesn't like make them pay whatsoever. Uh, he, he's just a little too slow on defense. And that would be the key thing. Like, I can see a lot of the teams I look at the roster. I'm like, okay, I can kind of see where you're coming from, either personnel wise or like strategy wise. I just don't see it with Vucevic, um, and that's the key here. Uh, and there's nobody else. They might trade for somebody who knows what they do at the trade deadline, but right now, uh, that's the big takeaway. Is I, I feel pretty confident that we'll be getting whatever we want in the paint with Vucevic out there. Yeah, and I mean, when you're decided to hit your hopes and say Novak Djokovic did nothing wrong you're probably not great at defending <laughs> things in general so yeah big Vooch big Vooch mistake on big Vooch's part but oh well and then we torched him that's what we had to do and that that's what you get you maybe you should have had natural that natural immunity is not going to help your protection <laughs> so the final game uh this happened as most of this game was happening like in the first half of the Packer game so if you didn't watch that's fine the Bucks played the Sacramento Kings and won 133-127 no Giannis uh he I, I feel like it was more of a load management. They said it was knee soreness, but it was probably a load management. No Grayson Allen. But Dante DiVincenzo 
impressing his future employer. Probably his best game of the season, 20 points, um, 20 points, three rebounds, two assists. He couldn't miss. It was a very good game for him. Drew back in the starting line, 26 points, five rebounds, four assists. And Chris Middleton, again, continuing a good scoring week for him. 34 points, being 12 of 20 from the throw, uh, floor and five of seven for three, six rebounds, five assists. It was this was a weird game because Milwaukee was pretty much in control the whole time. It the the score at the end makes it look closer than it actually was. Um, mm-hmm. The Bucks allowed forty one points in the fourth quarter. Uh, that was great, but they scored thirty nine, <laughs> so it's fine. Um, for the Kings, it was a whole lot of just a variety. Tyrese Halliburton had twenty four points. Um, Harrison Barnes had twenty nine points, and I feel like there was one other player that had like uh, Terrence Davis had. 20-something points as well. So it, it was an interesting game. The Kings are the Kings are weird, like not in a good way. Buddy Heald was 2 of 11 off the bench. I, I feel like he just needs to get traded. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it was, I feel like this was a game where no Giannis, and this is exactly what you want to see in a game where you don't have Giannis. Chris and Drew, you guys take all the shots. You guys get all the points. And let guys like Pat Connaughton, like George Hill, like Dante, find ways to chip in however they can. But it needs to be you two leading and steering this ship. And they did so. Pat, big game, 5 of 10 from 3. Like They were paying off a lot of the passes off from Chris and Drew. Uh, obviously, Dante also 3 of 5 from 3. Like Great Dante game. Still a couple of stupid decisions in transition offense, but that's, that's classic vintage Dante, so that's uh, to be expected. Biggest issue for Sacramento is they are god-awful on defense, and their big man rotation outside of Rashawn Holmes, I mean, Charm and Soft, I have no idea what they're doing. Like, they, our biggest guy all night was Bobby Portis, and, like, Damian Jones looks like a giant kid out there, and the number of times that they <laughs> would go to him or Marvin Bagley, and they would have, like, a foot and a half over Pat Connaughton, and they would, that big man would, like, end up just doing a floater. Oh my God, Alvin Gentry much wanted to just like choke everybody on his team because that is just <laughs> horrific basketball. I have no idea what they're doing. So a lot of jump shooting from the Harrison Barnes and Tigers Halliburton's of the world. Halliburton's like a lot of fun. Um, he like obviously Oshkosh guy has 12 assists too. Like he does everything for him. So a lot of fun for him, but uh, not enough from everybody else. Like Sean Holmes has a good game, uh, but when your defense is non-existent and your big men outside of Sean Holmes don't defend, uh, going to be pretty easy for Milwaukee. And Chris, especially in the second half and fourth quarter, really good, like a couple of sequences, um, just breaking defenders down, like isolation. So I thought that was good from him. Like that's that was a vintage Chris section, like quarter that we needed. And then I should credit Drew Holiday at the end of the game. Still kind of tight. I think it was like a four or six point game. Uh, we're in transition offense, and Drew sees that Sacramento's defense is not set at all, and he has human traffic cone Buddy Heald right in front of him. And he just turns on the Jets, gets right around him, goes up for the dunk, and then immediately, like 10 real-time seconds later, stops the ball like on defense, stops it. The ball is like about to bounce out of bounds. He jumps, leaps, and then hits it off of it. might have been like Marvin Bagley. I don't know which king it was that was on the ground, but like gets the turnover to essentially seal the game shut. Like It was close. But this was just like um, in the Memphis game. Close game, can you execute to close it? Drew turns the game on its head in the course of literally two consecutive possessions to be like, oh, they're kind of hanging around and just shuts it down from there. And from there, it was just kind of like, you know, salting it away, essentially. 
Um, that was probably what was most impressive is there's a lot of noise in these throwaway games that you can kind of ignore, but Chris taking over offensively, that's a note. Drew being able to turn the game on its head, that's the other note. So I think those two things are what's most notable from this. Yeah, that Drew Holiday play was it was like the dunk was the one thing. He getting a ferocious dunk, that was huge. And then to turn around and like have that the saving the ball from going out of bounds and throwing it off the kick. Like that I felt like was Drew Holiday in almost a nutshell. Like he's going to make the play that you need to on offense and then turn around and make a defensive play. It was really good to see that. And like I said, the, the final score made it seem closer than it actually was. After the first quarter where Milwaukee was down 12, it, it, they were able, not even, I think they were down eight after the first quarter. They were able to just go into the second quarter and decide, okay, we're going to try. And it, the Kings are just a weird team because there's not really, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of jump shooting that's going on. And, you know, when those shots are falling, things look great. And then when you don't, they have no plan B. And I think this is where not having De'Aaron Fox also hurts them because at least maybe you would have someone that could drive to the hoop. But for Milwaukee, it was kind of more of a, you just do what you need to. Like I said, Chris Middleton, let him do this thing. Drew Holiday was able to get to the hoop. Dante was shooting. Dante and Pat Connaughton shot the ball really well. Um, and I think even Jordan War provided some decent minutes, which, you know, considering how he was a couple games prior, like defensively, he was still getting absolutely sliced up. But it felt as though this was even Mama got minutes, and even though and he was a minus thirteen, but a lot of that I felt like was in the first half. <laughs> like he got yeah. those minutes in the first half, and Bud's like, eh, "Okay, maybe not. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I won't do this." But it was more of the Milwaukee was able to find its moments, and yes, in a throwaway game, there's really not much to take away. But I also feel like in these kind of games where you don't have Giannis, this is where you hope that Chris and Drew can really step up and be those guys, and they were those guys. So. I don't know. I feel like there isn't much to really take away from this game. I don't know what you do with the Kings. Like, I say rebuild. Blow it up. Blow it up for the millionth time. Right. I was going to say, how many times can you do this? Like, I feel like what you need to do is just hope that Halliburton continues progressing and you can get some other pieces around him and that can at least, and then you just get lucky in one draft. Like, I feel like that's where you're at this point. Like, get lucky to draft, build that person at Halliburton and hope for the best because... I don't know, man. Like, there's a lot of guys that, yeah, a contender might want to think about trading, but Harrison Barnes' contract is ridiculously high, and no one wants to trade for that. Buddy Heald's contract is high, and no one wants to trade for that. De'Aaron Fox. Like, there's so many contracts where it's like, I don't know if we could trade for that. That's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're uh, they're they're stuck in hell. But, you know, that's what it's been in Sacramento for a very long time. The only other thing I wanted to note, uh, Bobby Portis, good rebounding week for him. Uh, criticizing a week ago, uh, he has a good rebounding night, like really fighting for things against the Bulls. That's another thing I should have said. Vucevic gave up a lot of like rebounds to Bobby, which is inexcusable for somebody who has like six to seven inches of height over somebody else. Bobby has 12 rebounds in this one. Uh, again, the Kings, their big centers are like charm and soft, but they're still tall. And Bobby has really been grinding out rebounds. It, there's still a lot of times where he like volleyballs it out, which is annoying, but I should note good rebounding week for him. Uh, continue to keep that up, Bobby. He doesn't score a lot, kind of a down scoring week for him, but it's not the end of the world. He's getting the rebounds, which is what matters when you are, especially in this game, they're the only tall guy that's going to be out there, like the only true big man who's going to be playing minutes. So shout out to you, Bobby, for doing the dirty work. Yeah, I feel like this is a good like bounce back week for a lot of Bobby's rebounding, Pat Connaughton Pat shooting, uh, Dante DiVincenzo getting back into decent-ish form, Chris Middleton. I feel like this was a good bounce-back week for a lot of guys, and hopefully, especially in the case of Dante, this is going to, he can build on this, um, whether it's as trade bait or just 
to get hit just to be useful in the rotation. Because I know there was a question in our chat where, you know, you have to pick one of three between Wes Hill and Pat in a closing lineup and who are you going with? And I don't know, like I, I get the arguments. I feel like we talked about this. It feels like it depends on matchup, but I maybe would lead towards West, but I can also see Pat, but Dante needs to do more to get himself back in that conversation. Uh, yeah, Dante's for sure not in the conversation. That's, yeah, no. that's not even, he's, it, I, you're right about it being a bounce back week. We should note, I think the Bucks were like two and five or two and seven, like really bad leading into this week. And then they, of course they dropped the game against Atlanta, uh, got two wins out against good teams and then, uh, take care of business against a crappy team. I'm not saying this is going to be like the point at which the Bucks take off, but for what feels like the six or seven time this season, Things are hopefully coming together now. Like Drew is back from yet another time away from the court. Uh, we're going to get to the all-star break. Giannis is coming into form. Like I'm hopeful that this is a sign of good things to come. Not that we're going to just rip off like a 20 game win streak, but hopefully we're more into the 500 plus weeks than we are the below 500 weeks heading forward. Hope I think things are starting to come together for Milwaukee a little bit. Yeah, I think things are starting to come together, and I think this also could bode well for them eventually climbing up to that two seed, maybe even getting to that one seed territory. They're still close enough that it, you know, it is still possible for them to climb up the standings. And you, if they can get through, you know, these a couple stretches where it gets a little not necessarily tough, but you know, you're doing a lot of traveling on the road. I think this is a good opportunity for them to kind of build off of that. We've seen now the last few weeks, like okay, they're getting the they've gotten the marquee wins, but now we need to see kind of like what we saw in that like December, late December, early January was like, okay, now you got to start getting the wins back. Now you got to start having the three and one weeks, two and one weeks, two and two even weeks, depending on who you're playing and yep. get your way back up there. Cause you're only a game out of first place. It's so, like, this is like, I know the seeding doesn't matter as much because Milwaukee showed last year, like whatever, but it would be good to just not have to deal with potentially having a four or five matchup with a Cleveland or Philly, not having to go to three and then again, dealing with a Charlotte, a Philly, you know, I, like if you can get the ones you get the losers of the playing games and stuff like that, it's going to bode better for you. But we are going to take a quick ad break. So after that, we are going to kind of have a random miscellaneous. It's not going to be your usual, but stay tuned. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Okay, and we are back. Um, neither of us really went into this week with rapid fire questions, which is shocking. <laughs> I feel like this was. We also forgot that Adam's not going to be um, in. <laughs> he was kind of mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, I'm not going to make it. I'm I'm over in LA." And we're just like, "Oh, shoot!" So this is kind of our random. Let's just talk about whatever. I'm going to quickly talk about the African Cup of Nations tournament, the greatest tournament in the face of the earth. <laughs> um, for those that don't know, this is the soccer tournament that's going on on Africa. All the like, all the African countries are playing. It has been absolute chaos, and it is the best kind of chaos. Ghana, one of the favorites, eliminated. Algeria, the defending champions, eliminated. There is a match where the referee 
said the game ended in like 85 minutes. They played 90 minutes. The referee ended the game at like the 85th minute. And then they realized that it was a mistake. So they just decided, okay, nope, we're going to go back. And then they restarted the match. And then they ended the game again at 89 minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> Normally there's like at least some like added time at the end just between all the stoppages. Nope, the match ended. It was again, I think it was Tunisia and Mali, I believe. And the match ended. And everyone's like, okay, the match is over. The Mali coach is doing a press conference where he gets called by the referees. Hey, we're restarting this game. Like we are going to play these like last five minutes. So they're trying to do that. Then Tunisia, in a fit, decides we're not doing that, and they decide to take a forfeit. <laughs> <laughs> this happened. This happened in the match. It was fantastic. Otherwise, you have uh, Komoros, who literally never scored in the African uh, Cup of Nations tournament, and then they beat Ghana 3-2. to two. <laughs> Like, this is what we have going on. So... That is what's going on in African Cup of Nation. It is the most chaotic tournament, and I love it because the good thing with AFCON is it doesn't matter. I said this before. This is like if the Golden State Warriors were to play like some Eastern European team in like the 80s where it's like we don't give a damn who you are. We don't care how talented you're supposedly. We are going to beat the living crap out of you, and like your prestige does not matter. <laughs> it's just it's chaos, number one. When, they, when the refs go out there, they look at the rule book and they say, Today, we're choosing chaos, and I salute the AFCON uh, referees for all of that. The uh, week that was, not a whole bunch going on. Uh, I, I, when Kyle is back here, I would like to ask Kyle whether or not he believes that the Badgers are for real. Kyle, now that you're back and you can hear me a little bit, I was just telling the folks that, um, for me, somebody who doesn't follow, do you believe in the Wisconsin Badgers basketball team this year? That's the other sports story that I need to get an update on. Oh, you're muted. I do not. Um, no. <laughs> like, it's not necessarily, like, I think they're going to be a solid NCAA team that could get, like, a two or a three or probably a four or five. Like, would it surprise me if they made a run and made it to, like, an Elite Eight or even a Final Four? No. Like, Johnny Davis is really good. I also have not watched any Badger basketball this season for me to, like, give a good analysis. I just have little faith in a Wisconsin sports team other than that. Is, okay, let me change that. I have little faith in a Wisconsin men's sports team to mm-hmm. do the job it needs to do. Like, no, I have no faith in them. Like I said, would it surprise me that they made the Final Four? No. If they won the Big Ten, I wouldn't be surprised. But I'm not expecting them to be this bona fide, actually good team. Here's Happy my second. for them, but I, I, yeah. I don't believe in it. Uh, the Gophers had a good start to the I haven't followed it all. They had a good start to the year, and then they ran to the Big Ten and started falling a little bit. So that's a rebuild in progress. My my other question, sports related to you, is okay. Aaron Rodgers, assuming this is the end of the road, um, if Giannis wins another title with the Bucks, does that make him like Wisconsin sports, Mister Twenty First Century? Does he become like the best Twenty First Century sports figure in Wisconsin? Honestly, he might already be there. <laughs> He might, like, yeah. he might already be there, and it's more because Giannis got the title in the way that he won the title, and then he also decided to stay. When it was very plausible, he could have not signed the contract, potentially leave. Everyone would have been like, okay, this is annoying, but I understand. Like It was very plausible. So the fact that he stayed and then wins the title and racks up two MVPs, like he's already, I would say he's already there unless, you know, whoever the next Packers QB is or like a Christian Yelich wins the world series of the Brewers. I, I think he's already that guy. 
I, I think Aaron Rodgers did so much to stain and sour that, like, if Aaron Rodgers had simply just not won, I think people would still put him at the top. But it's the not winning plus all Everything the Everything else BS. going on. Yeah. Be- and, like, it was funny because this was – and all the other playoff losses in the past, like, you can chalk that up. It was not fully Aaron Rodgers' fault. Like, okay, a lot of the years it was the def- defense. A lot of the years they just were not the better team. Then there was the Seattle choke job that was kind of a special teams error. Even last night was not great for the special teams, but the offense literally had the first drive, scored the touchdown, then they only scored three points after that. So this was a bad, and it was like a bad Aaron Rodgers performance. So I think because of all of that, like this game really soured it to the point where I I do think Giannis is already there because Giannis is also like this good guy. So people, even if you are not the biggest basketball fan, you could look at Giannis and be like, yeah, see, this is what we, this is what you have to like about Giannis. Even the diehard, I ain't getting no vaccine side of people can at least look at Giannis like, see, that's an American that appreciates mm-hmm. what his yeah. situation, kind of like the stupid Enos Cantor BS, but you know, mm-hmm. without the BS. It's a, uh, you're right that the whole story, the totality of his story as a player uh, adds to a lot of it, like man of the people, man of Milwaukee, like growing up here, essentially like comes over essentially like a kid and like becomes like, the hero of the city like it's everything about it is really remarkable plus like the history of losing for the bucks like everything about Giannis is quite remarkable i hope we win another title so i can have a more serious conversation about that but i just wanted to get your thoughts on it yeah i i'm honestly hoping but it is um it, it's it's good to see Giannis at least still be but i like i said i'm over Aaron yeah. and everything. <laughs> but a, listen to Acme Packing Company if you guys want some more Packers takes. I'm sure they, sure have, they have some there. very entertaining stuff going on right now. Um, yeah. One question I wanted to ask you, just because I know, obviously, with COVID and everything, like, how is that been, like, recovery-wise? It's been good, uh, not good. So I took like a, it took like a whole week after the height of my COVID. So I had a really bad Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then the week, week and a half after, I would wake up. And I would feel like mostly okay, like a little sore or whatever. And then like, I would just still have a cough, like the cough lingered for a week and a half. And that was the real pain in the neck is like, can't go anywhere for sure because I just have this cough and it's just, it's not comfortable. Um, But now I'm doing pretty good. I don't think I'm dealing with any sort of like long COVID things or anything, which is nice. Um, And I am now back in the office. So I, you know, that's kind of fine, I guess, working from home rocked. So that's kind of unfortunate, but uh, I'm feeling a lot better now. Uh, and uh, thankfully our house is generally, um, but yeah, it, it's been okay. That's good. And then my last question is, I know you've been writing uh, stuff on your blog and also reading stuff. What have you been reading or what have you been writing lately? It's uh, a g- good question. So uh, I've been reading uh, some Charles de Gaulle, which people, readers of the Monday Morning Media Roundup will know that. I've also been reading this Italian literary critic called Roberto Colasso, who passed away last year. But he was the head publisher of this, like, well, like, renowned Italian publishing house. And it's just like, uh, he has a series of 10 books, which are just like, weird essays, sort of, where he just comments on like, here's this, this art, or like talking about Hindu mythology, or like the Veda, um, and all these different things that he's like pulling together to try and understand like the generation point of myth in human storytelling and what kind of influence it still has on us today. And I'll be honest, I don't understand a lot of it in the first go around, but uh, he he's like a really entertaining writer. I, his books are like only 200 pages. So Roberto Colasso, for the, it, like all of them are published in English. And I think anybody who 
has an interest in stuff like that. Uh, it's not inaccessible whatsoever. You could probably find it at your library. Um, but that's what I've been reading lately. Is uh, he's been pretty entertaining and uh, he's clearly very erudite and knows what he's talking about and is enjoying reading somebody who knows what they're talking about. That's good. Yeah, I might have to check that out. I'm currently reading a book about the Windrush generation. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely. I was like, yeah, let me do things to help my mental health. Let me read about yeah. all the depressing <laughs> things people from the Caribbean have dealt with with in, in the English colonies in the last, you know, sixty years. That that was great. Well, but well, the Windrush generation was it like when um, independence happened in the Caribbean? Was it people going back to the UK? Because whenever I hear Windrush generation, it's the migrants who went from the Caribbean to England or to the UK. Is that specifically a term for that group that ended up in the yeah. UK? Yeah, yeah, because there was a ship uh that would bring them over um it was like a big military ship because after world war ii um obviously england was just like pretty much like pretty hit hard with the world war ii so then they needed a lot of the labor that was for you know like the more service industry and what better way to try and find a way to pay people cheap than to get a whole island nation and then they're like well if you were a part of our colony you could get english citizenship like that was like Mm -hmm. the selling point like okay like, come to England, we'll give you citizenship, you'll be a citizen, you'll have these jobs. And I mean, like, for a good chunk of people in the Caribbean, like, that probably was better than what they were having. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just, like, learning the stories, but obviously going from, like, a warm Caribbean island where everyone looks like you to England um, definitely <laughs> definitely is a harsh adjustment. Yeah. One is yeah. also weird, because I feel like my grandma could have easily been one of those, because she is from, because my dad's from Antigua, and was born there, so technically, like, if my grandma decided to go, she could have gotten that English citizenship. And I know she's been to England a few times. So, yeah, it's always a question I meant to ask her. But yeah, I'm do reading you, that. Do you know the name of the book off the top of it your head? It is called Mother Country. And I got to make sure I get the artist's name right. It's a good book. Like, it's been like different. It's kind of like what you were talking about. Your, it's like different stories yeah. that have been um, shown. But yeah, Mother Country. And that book is currently by, I'm trying to pull it up right now. And it's not showing up on my Kindle, which is weird. Ah, by Charlie Brickenhurst Cuff. Charlie Brickenhurst Cuff. All right, we'll put that in the uh, in the podcast notes. Both books for those who are interested. That does sound interesting. I'll keep yeah, that in I, sure. I think it's a it, yeah. If you want to learn more about that period of history, where I feel like in America you don't hear about as much, just because it doesn't really involve America, but in world history, I think it and it also has a big impact on what England is like today. Mm-hmm. So. I would recommend it. I'm like a third of the way through. And it's, while it's slightly depressing, it's also good to know. But yeah, yeah I think that was a good. <laughs> the yeah, it was. I agree. It was good stuff. Uh, now we will end the episode with the prediction. So on Wednesday, the Bucks go to Cleveland and play the Cavaliers. Then they are home for the weekend uh, against the Knicks on Friday. And then the Denver Nuggets on Sunday. Um, Riley, what are your thoughts on how the Bucks will do this week? I think we're going to have a 3-0 and week. Uh, Cleveland is good, but I think uh, we'll hang tough there. The Knicks are awful. That's a 9 p.m. start central on Friday. I it, it, We must be the national game or something, I would guess. That's the only thing that makes Which, sense. We need but, to stop putting the New York Knicks on national TV. Yeah, and, <laughs> we, do, we do need to do that. We need to stop doing uh, that. And the Nuggets, uh, they're also a mixed bag. Obviously, Jokic is a handful, but uh, I, I believe in us at home. So I think 3-0 and this week. I'm feeling pretty good about where we're at. Yeah, I'm saying two and one. I, I, I'm not sure on the Denver one. I feel like the Denver game is kind of like that. I can see the Bucks winning. I, see, I can see the Bucks losing. It could just be one of those games where Jokic just 
does really well and annoys the living crap out of me. Like, it, I mean, he's back. Like, the first time these two teams played, he wasn't there. So it's got, we got robbed of that opportunity. But I think Denver's gotten slightly healthier. I think they, I just think, like, depending, this is a game where the lack of rim protection can really hurt Milwaukee just because, well, Bobby's going to try his best to, like, face guard Jokic. That's just not going to end well for everyone else. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, it's, I feel like Denver has enough guys that can be a slight thorn in Giannis' side, plus the boogies. Boogie I was going to say the boogie return, <laughs> boogie return. The boogie return and revenge game is uh, prevalent as well. So yeah, it'll be all right though. I'm looking forward to it. Should be some good games this week. Yeah, at the very least, the Cleveland and Denver game will be fun to watch. Um, not going to talk about the other one, <laughs> um, but yeah. So that is it for Brewhoop.com. Make sure to check out Riley's Monday morning media roundup. Uh, Adam, I know, is going to work on his weekly prognosis. We have Van's uh, report card. We have the forecasting. We're going to have a You Heard It Here post update pretty soon. I might just decide to write about the Bucks being terrible in the second half, but we'll see how that goes. But make sure to check us out at brewhoop.com. Make sure to follow us on Brewhoop on Twitter and make sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends and give it five stars. And we'll talk to you later. Bye.